0: You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and
1: leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. My name is Frank, and I'm glad that you are here. All the friends are here, and they all have something to say. They're all ready to talk, and they're all ready to chat about what is practical in pastoring. I'm here with my friend, Up in Maryland, Jeff Simpson.
2: Hello, friends. If you hear noise, that is because there is a renter church having children's ministry directly
1: above me. Mm. Then down in Sumter, South Carolina,
0: we have Delmar Pete. Hello. If you hear noise, we're having a demonic exorcism upstairs. (laughs) And then uh, uh,
1: recovering. I think we can talk about this. Recovering from covid we got
3: Andrew Larson
2: if we can't we're doing it now
3: well if you hear noise it's because my four children are home from school because their house is infected with covid
4: nice <laughs> and then Yikes. uh not too far from Andrew we have Timothy Miller hello world if you hear noise it is the sound of my tears hitting the floor because the jaguars are still terrible oh man yeah, this is uh this is a late
1: night uh recording, so everyone is kind of in unique places, but uh uh let, let's spend let's put two minutes in the clock for Dumar's sake. Uh all of our football teams probably did bad. Did the Bucks did the Bucks win? The Bucks won. Jags yes lost. Bucks, yeah.
3: Yes. The
1: Bucs won Raven, on the last second. The field. Ravens lost The Ravens lost, and like what? <laughs> was a How many breaker. was it one or two overtimes?
3: There's I only one overtime in the
1: NFL. Frank, oh, it's not I, college. I I didn't watch the game did, and then the and then the Packers lost too. So Didn't you play college football? I did, but college football overtime is way different than NFL overtime.
3: Yes, college football has as many overtimes as it yeah, takes. Yeah, yeah. NFL has one overtime and it can end in a tie unless it's the playoffs. Well, um yeah, football happened and uh we can move so on. So the on. World Series so- can end in a
2: tie? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Can it? Really? I never thought yep. about that. Yep, it oh, can. Absolutely. Super lame. Well, speaking of dumb things, hey, did you know women are more susceptible at being possessed? That's crazy. Uh, What did you guys think of the last Martis Hill podcast?
2: I listened to it twice. Not because I was so interested necessarily in the content, although I was, but because I was distracted the first time and realized if you're doing a thing where you're like reading a book and you read a paragraph and you're like, what? I don't know what I just read. I did that with the podcast. Um. But yeah, it was a really interesting. I thought it was kind of a different direction. Felt a little darker, a little creepier. But uh, overall, pretty interesting.
1: I I remember I remember like t- like ten years ago when I was listening to that podcast, and um, I'm th- sorry, not that podcast. When I was listening to Mark Driscoll, and he would talk about his more charismatic side, and I just remember thinking back then like, oh, that's just Driscoll being silly or something, like you know, like I never really, I never really, I guess I. I, I feel like a lot of my like theology on Satan and demons actually came from Driscoll because he has like really good stuff. on. He had really good stuff on resurgence and in his book about like that kind of stuff. But I don't remember it being, I don't rem- I never heard him talk about demon possession the way he talked about it in this episode. And it was, it was odd, man. Like it made me a little uncomfortable, but
3: it was interesting. Yeah, There's a I'm reason like, those clips were a little bit less uh, in the mainstream than some of the other things that he talked about because we all kind of want the people that are popular to sound like us and think like us so that we can feel like we're onto something good and had that all been in the mainstream he probably would not have been as popular
0: it definitely was the most nuanced of all of them i was like wow they're really going down the rabbit hole in this one and to me because what there's like five episodes left is that correct I'm thinking something like that. I'm like, how much more nuanced are they gonna go? Like, is the next episode gonna be about like their non you know non fair wage coffee in the lobby at all the Mars Hill locations? Like, you know, I I mean, yeah. I think I I, did.
2: Go ahead. I thought it was interesting how he did come on and talk about like that they're still getting people reaching out to them and that they you know they want to include them in it, and so it's gonna change the schedule which selfishly I was disappointed in because now it's every other week, which is lame, but I'm kind of glad that they're, you know, open to doing that.
1: Well, this isn't a, uh, uh, Mars Hill podcast reaction podcast, so we don't have to talk about it any, any further. Hey, real quickly, let's go around the horn. We haven't been together in two weeks. So how has everybody's, uh, uh, past weekend been? Who
0: I'm excited. We finally left the skate station and we are in the local high school now and they have a very nice facility. Um, so it is nice to be in a space where our, our lobby is twice the size of our old worship space. It is fantastic.
3: Is skate station, the name of the roller rink that you guys were
0: renting? It is. We were Pacala at skate station. Now we are Pekala at Lakewood. So that sound, that's got a little bit easier invite. I will tell you, I've been calling through the roster, and I probably called 20 people, and a lot of them said they're coming back this Sunday because we're doing what the hard launch this week. And I've come to the conclusion that a lot of people who grew up around here, and this isn't any slight at Skate Station because I'm very grateful for them, but when I tell them our church is meeting there, all they think about is the nasty stuff they did when they were kids there and their kids do there. So, like... Dirty, you know, aside with COVID, kind of made it feel and small, kind of it, it was like a triple hammer. Um, but now, like with the schools, this is where the schools are actually helping us because in South Carolina, they obviously have lots of COVID regulations. So I'm able to actually tell every person I call we have state ran sanitation teams in our church every Sunday before, during, and after services which is true. We have to pay for that, but it's actually a huge um, invite back. People really like that. They're like, man, that's comforting. So um, there's a little silver lining there too. So I have a fall kickoff event
1: happening this Sunday. And at the same time, our church is doing a relationship series. Like, so we're, we're like, you know, one of those churches that do like, like, I think most of us do this verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but we take about three weeks off in September where we do like a special topical series and we like send out mailers like to all the surrounding communities where all of our campuses are. And uh it's been it's been really interesting. So we're in a relationship series called Relationship Goals. And uh and I preach one of the three weeks in this series. And like they, there's like new people and they're and, like I, I would love to like I would like mean, maybe one day, we don't do it today, talk to you guys about like if you, when you guys take a break from a series, if if you guys do this, do a topical series, like what level of impact does that have, have on your attendance? Like, is it because like the way we look at it is this is an attractional thing that's drawing people in, and then in the hopes of them hearing the gospel and then maybe beginning their discipleship journey within our church. I don't know. It's interesting. There's like new people at my campus. There's new people at all the campuses, and then beyond that, we are having our fall kickoff where we're doing like the food trucks kids games all that kind of stuff happening this Sunday. It's pretty exciting and I hopefully next 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 week I have stuff to report about what I learned in that. So, what about Andrew? Uh can you share how you're feeling because I know um you're not feeling good.
3: Well, so Labor Day I was diagnosed with the rona. I'm one of those special breakthrough people who got vaccinated and everything and yet got got it anyway. So On the day before Labor Day, so Sunday, was that the – hang on, I got to do math. Sunday the 5th, I served communion the first time of not prepackaged communion in more than a year and a half. And of course that night I spiked a fever and the next morning was uh, diagnosed with coronavirus. So I spent several days uh, in delirium because I was sleeping and then I went and got the antibody treatment.
1: You think you got COVID from communion?
3: No, no, no. I was terrified that I gave people at church com- oh. uh, COVID because um, Sunday night my symptoms began. I still don't know where I got it. I took my kid to uh, see shang on Friday night, and then I took two of my other boys to a super sketchy McDonald's that actually has their lobby open by us on Saturday. So either the movie theater or the McDonald's is probably where I picked it up. Was but it either worth way? It? Uh, n- no, but you know, you you, you gotta you gotta live so your G life, right? It was worth it. The movie was. Yeah, it was good. good. The McDonald's. It was the McDonald's good, schedule. except for the fact that my 11 year old ate so much popcorn at like midnight that he threw up all over the place. So I it was like rinsing him off in the bathroom at the movie theater. So that might have been part of it. But either way, I spent the first several days of being sick. Terrified that I had given an old lady at church coronavirus. But so far, everybody at church is good. And then we had a guest speaker scheduled to be uh, preaching this past Sunday. So it was really weird to be watching church from home. And I wasn't there on Sunday morning. But, you know. it's How, how did it, it feel it, like stacked up next to the flu? Oh, worse. Yeah. Tuesday, Tuesday night, I was sitting on a stool in my shower weeping. I mean, it was it was not good. So I got diagnosed Monday, Tuesday. I went and got the antibody treatment, which was a shot in each arm and then two shots in the gut, which I thought it was an IV going in. And no, 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 it was, you're not getting an IV. You're get, We're going to give you shots in the stomach. So that might've uh, changed my treatment plan had I known I was getting shots in the stomach. But you know, the symptoms beyond Wednesday or Thursday have been fairly mild. So the antibody stuff was helpful, but Tuesday night was sick. Like I've never been sick before in my life.
4: Yeah. I was texting with Melissa that night really late because we were actually really worried about you. And I don't know if she had gotten the O2 meter for you, O2 reader for you yet, but we, uh, we were trying to make sure she, you, you could. She went out
3: that night and, and bought thought. one because yeah. I was
4: about to leave and go to my 24 hour Walmart and bring one to you. That's that's how worried we were for you that night.
3: And ironically, my my oxygen levels have not dipped below 93 percent at all, which is good. And you know, between the vaccine and the antibody treatment, you know, I haven't had that to worry about. I know people that have dipped into the you know high seventies while still at home. And that's just terrifying to me because when mine hit 93, 94, I felt like I was trying to breathe with a wet paper towel over my mouth. And Tim, I know you got into like the low eighties. I can't even imagine trying to breathe like Which that. Which is
4: why I was in the hospital. Yeah. It was not pleasant. So no, no, uh,
1: this is a very inappropriate joke. What I'm about to say, so I'll preface with that. So no, I'm ready ivermec- for it. no, ivermectin, no, no, uh, no horse, uh, worm treatment.
3: So my in laws have horses up in Arkansas, and so my mother in law was like, you know, if you want, I can I can get it for you. I I got a guy, and I was like, no, no, it's cool. I'm good. I'm good. In good. fact, she was like, do you want any of this? And I was like, nay. So no, that, was a, nice. that was a horse joke. Nice <laughs> horse wow. joke. Wow,
1: wow, well, I'm glad you're uh, you look you look good. Um, and and I I'm guessing. When you said you got a shot in the gut, that hurts, doesn't it?
3: Yes, it feels exactly like a syringe into your lower abdomen would feel. I told the 19 year old who was administering it that, you know, if I knew that someone was going to be giving me a shot in the stomach, I would have done some crunches or something. And she said, no, no, you'll probably feel it less because of all that. As she pointed to my bellies (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's
2: rough man My weekend was definitely better than that Yeah It was a pretty regular church weekend But then I went to Exponential in DC Which was pretty fun
1: yeah, you Over saw you saw up.
2: the J.D. Greer, the J.D. the Ed Litton sermon writer, J.D. Greer. Dang, I was about that. So,
0: how's your sermon shaping up for this Sunday? What's
2: here's what's ironic. I'm preaching from John 17, and that's what the theme of the conference was. So nice. We're all nice. set. <laughs> no, uh, it was good. It was um, it was one of those things where my denomination, like, I'm technically a replanting pastor, so to speak, in our denomination. So they're like, hey. We bought 10 tickets for the replanting and planting guys in our in our geographic district. If you want one of these tickets, say something. And I was like, immediately was like, yeah, I'll take a free conference. Sure. And what I didn't realize was that it was also going to come with a free hotel room. So I thought I was going to be commuting to D.C. because it was only Monday at 1230. Uh, none of the pre-conference stuff like applied to me. So I was like, first main session is 1230 Monday and I'll just commute in. I'm done by like six 30, I think go back home. It's an hour drive, go back home, come back Tuesday. It's a lot of driving, but whatever. It's a free conference. Fun. And, uh, but then I got an email like a week ago that was like, Hey, here's your hotel confirmation. Like from my denomination. I was like, Oh, sweet. So then my wife found out about it and was like, Hey, well, we're tagging along then if you got a hotel room. So <laughs> my, my wife and two daughters came and uh, they went to like the Air and Space Museum yesterday and then they went to some farm today and like rode a hayride or something. So it's kind of funny. The funny part of it was there was another guy staying in the same hotel from my denomination and we were talking at breakfast this morning and my daughter looked at me after he left and was like, hey, uh, where is his wife that came with him? And my wife busted out laughing because I had been ragging on her the whole weekend for like tagging along to a conference. And so that, that was pretty funny. My daughter was like picked up on like, hey, where is his wife that drives him everywhere? So that's that's pretty funny, but uh, yeah, What's it was on? a pretty good week. We had a good good service, and then I got to go to that. So I'm a little behind, but it's all good.
1: It's all good, but you know what? Uh, you know we're we're Speaking here of Conferences. I was gonna say we're we're here together late at night.
3: Conferences that, that you can bring your spouse to.
1: Yeah, you're dude, Let's talk about the practically pastoring conference. Uh, we posted today a, a glorious t- video of Tim getting excited about the conference. It, his his wife objectifying him in the comments yeah, too. Yeah, right? come on. <laughs> so it was. We were so excited about the practically pastoring conference, February twenty first to twenty third in twenty twenty two, at Lakeview Church in, uh, in in Florida. Yeah, we we're we sunny F L A. Um uh by then uh none of us will have Rona. We'll all be healthy and we're gonna be able to enjoy a super, super awesome time. Is
2: that a prophetic word?
1: Um I'm speaking into existence. All right. <laughs> that's 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 what I'm trying to say. Uh we are we are still in the super early adopter rate of seventy-nine dollars. There's perks that come with it, and so if you want to get the lowest rate the conference can have you got to get your tickets before October 1st. With that comes some risk. You don't know who's going to be the speakers. You don't know exactly what the schedule is going to be like, but you're going to lock it in at the lowest rate, and we can promise you, as Tim said in the video today, you'll be together with friends. It'll be a it great time. could be time. J.D. Greer.
3: You don't know. It could know, be it J.D. Could be. Greer. Could at be, this point, you I might be speaking if you, sh- if you sign up this month. I you saw might- J.D. Greer
2: <laughs> this very day. Like hours ago, he spoke in the same room as me. So I'm still – do I look brighter to you guys? Yeah, the of glory is on you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, should be,
3: you, should be wear, you should be wearing a veil just because yeah. looking at your face is going to mess we us up. We should
2: talk about our group text about his three-ring binder that happened earlier, which was – <laughs> I found it entertaining.
4: Well, look, I uh, saw him live a few, a few years ago at the Right Now Media Conference in Orlando, and he – he preached from a three ring binder. It's a smaller three ring binder. And mm-hmm. he, he very much read his manuscript. Um, dude, I actually, was so encouraged with the, with the, actually the lack of eye contact. I was, yeah, like, and I was about to say he, he did not make eye contact. I'm maybe, good. maybe it was, it was, um, but it was, was a great be, sermon. That, that was a great communicator. Really,
1: yeah. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't at all attempt to memorize this sermon. He straight up reads his notes from a three ring binder. He's been doing that for years. Um, I,
3: I don't I'll, know. He's great. I'll, I'll one up him, and maybe not one up, but uh, John Acuff. Whenever you hear him speak, at, you know at a teen camp or whatever, he's another guy who he only does like six or seven talks a year. So he re- he recycles everything. So you'd think he'd have it memorized, but no. Homeboy's yeah. got his notes printed out in front of him and leans heavy on them, and is a fantastic communicator while reading his notes. So well, you don't got to memorize everything, boys and girls. Take that all, you know, notes, guys.
1: Yeah. And, and, well, it, and here's the one thing yep. I can Professor promise. Professor Warren at Dallas Seminary. You see Very me now. Off. Here's what I do know. None of those speakers are going to be at the pre- pastoring conference. All right. It's going to be a great time. Uh, uh,
3: we we're we can find have, a DVD of one of them.
1: We, find a, we can put, we show a YouTube video of J.D. Greer's sermon from Summit. We'll figure it out. But, hey, all here's right, what I'll get his need. picture on the letterhead. Here, here's what you need to figure out. You got to figure out how to get there. Okay, we're gonna we got we got some good special deals at some hotels that we're gonna promote soon. We're trying to to work out some more stuff, but you're going to want to be there. Go to PracticallyPastoringConference.com. dot com. Sign up today. You have 15 days to get the lowest rate, and then the price is going up. Hey, we're guaranteed gonna to be with
4: your best friends. Us, we Guar- will be there. Guaranteed, with you. guaranteed.
1: We're gonna take a quick break when we come back. We're gonna dive into some clergy cliff notes. Hey, we are back, and we have an interesting one for you today. I I, I think this is like the most like um like like we we're recording a podcast, and then we're talking about an event that happened the same day. So, uh, there is a guy. I don't know how to explain this. I don't want I, listen. One thing I want practically pastoring to always be is a place where we don't slander people, and we don't needlessly criticize people. Need you know needlessly. So I'm gonna to try to be as gentle as I can. This is this is an article from Religion News Service. It, the headline is Twitter permanently bans Greg Locke, pro Trump, anti vax pastor. And the subheader says Uh, in a Facebook Live video, he claimed to be the first pastor to be banned on Twitter and said he was banned he, that his banning was an attack on Christians. So uh there's a pastor in Tennessee. He's kind of like in a similar vein as Sean. Uh, I can't say his last name. Fruit is that his name? Sean Frucht. You guys know what Freud, I'm about? I think. So say. Freud. I don't know how to say. This. I don't know how to say his name, but it, it, it's these like kind of like these evangelical leaders who swing very very politically right and what we know about them mostly is about their political agenda and not so much about their theology if that's fair to say um and so uh so this guy has been very vocal about his stance on uh covid-19 the lockdowns mass vaccines and, and, and a number of other issues um kind of politically related and so he recently was banned on twitter uh i'm assuming because of some of the controversial takes he has on on there so uh my question to you guys is this is as we see this article um do you think based on what you know about him i don't know how, how much you guys know about this pastor he's kind of a big deal in in tennessee kind of like he causes a lot of ruckus in that state i guess uh do, do you think he should have been kicked off do you think it was fair and then uh, the my next question right after that is do you think he's right in saying that this is a form of christian persecution Love to hear you guys talk
3: about. No, he's not right. That it's Christian persecution, and Twitter can kick off anybody they want. Isn't in that same vein that loves free market capitalism? Isn't the 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 right to refuse service to anybody you want to part of what they pride so much? So if you don't like Twitter banning you, create your own service. Like Twitter does not owe any one of us a platform. So they can kick off anybody who violates their terms and service and is hypocritical that the Taliban has not been kicked off, yet a former U.S. president has and now this pastor has. Sure. But you know what? It's their platform. They can do whatever they want. So if if you want to cry about it, by all means, uh, go create your own social media platform. Find you a server farm willing to host it and what what was that one that when everyone was going to when Facebook was dying around the the last election, I don't remember what it was, but it was ridiculous as well. And if you want to play on their turf, you have to play by their rules. That's the way the world works. Greg Locke is a he's a
4: shock jock pastor. I don't know if you guys have been following him for any length of time, but this is this is exactly what he lives for. He loves this attention. Anything that will get it to him. At, he'll take it. I think, I think there's even a clip of him actually screaming at one point at his congregation about how they should not be vaccinated, like literally shouting that. So I, I think this is just another one of those. Uh, how can I, how can I draw more attention to myself kind of moves?
0: Do I think he should have been kicked off? I mean, Andrew's right. They have the right. I don't think he should have. Cause I always air that you can either have um, speech or violence. And I think the more you try to silence people, the more you end up energizing their base a lot of times. So, I mean, Twitter could do what they want, but it was subjective. Should they? I don't think that they should. Um, But when I listened to the stuff he's saying, he said that uh, (laughs) if you believe Joe Biden won the president, you're a crack-smoking, demon-controlled leftist. Um, You know, there's definitely a lot of opinions about the election. But for you to have a prophetic word that someone is demon controlled, I think that he's doing a lot of damage to the evangelical community for sure. Um, But, you know, the thing for me as a pastor that this really hits, and I think this is a good discussion for us to have. What is it saying about congregants that they would gravitate toward this? You understand what I'm saying? Because his church is growing. And I think whether you pick an extreme right message to send out or an extreme left message when you lose the plot. Why is it oftentimes when you lose the plot that the church grows? Um, I think there's, there's something to be said about what we people really desire oftentimes is just to be affirmed in what they already believe, as opposed to be hit with the truth that they may not believe. And as pastors, we really have to, and I'm talking to myself too, when I'm preaching, I have to say, why am I saying this thing? Because let's be honest, sometimes you want to get there and say the thing because you know that people are going to be like, "Yeah, kick it, Frank, make that connection, hold up that rope, do that object lesson." You know what I'm saying? But like, there's also going to be times when I'm like, I shouldn't want to always say the things that I have to say. Does that does that make sense? Because if I if I all if if I always just want to say the things I have to say, chances are I'm just saying what I want to say and not necessarily what God wants to say. So for me, that's the deeper practical thing I struggle with here is when I get done with my next sermon, I need to come over and say how much of this sermon is birthed out of just my stick it to the man. You know what I'm saying? Versus how much is this God who who's, who I'm reading his word, how much is he raking me over the coals with it first? Because um, I think the mo- the best sermons I've ever heard, they just wrecked that pastor before that pastor got on the stage. And this pastor here who has feels like he can look people in the face and say, do not get the vaccination. Um, I feel like he's not really thinking about The real spiritual struggle Some people are having with this He's really thinking about an agenda Because agendas sell Let's just be honest There's a reason that certain news anchors And news broadcasters have the highest ratings ever It's because we want affirmation theology So that's really where my struggle is Just reading this for the first time right here, guys
2: I would say Do I think Twitter should permanently ban him? Strictly from a freedom of speech perspective No I don't think so. I somewhat agree with the idea that Twitter is a is a you know, it's a business that can have their own rules. But we are I I, there is a precedent and I'm speaking mostly like as a citizen of the United States now and not necessarily as a Christian. Um, There is precedent for when a monopoly happens that there needs to be something done and to break that up. And I do think you have to. That has to start to be part of the conversation because Twitter and Facebook and, you know, a few of these are pretty much a monopoly when it comes to this mass social media. So I don't know what the solution to that is. So I I'm not sure that it that it's a one to one application of, you know, private capitalism. Uh, They can do whatever they want, because when you have a monopoly historically in our country, we have broken up monopolies so that there is opportunity Um, So is it time to treat Twitter more like a utility than a platform? I don't know. I don't know where I am on that. As a Christian, I'm kind of glad he's off Twitter because he's just spewing nonsense. Um, I find it really kind of comical and hypocritical to be complaining about being kicked off of, again, a private company's platform while at the same time telling people, if you show up to my church in a mask, we are going to kick you out. So, I find that quite hypocritical that you're willing to kick people out of your church for something and then you want to kind of complain and whine that you're being, you know, kicked off of something else. Is this Christian persecution? Absolutely not. Mm. Which I think to to make the claim this is persecution is to, you know, I mean, is to kind of spit in the face of people in Afghanistan right now. So, you know, and other countries that are actually being persecuted for their faith, not for their stupidity in the pulpit. Mm.
3: Do you remember the person that got kicked out of the GameStop maybe two Christmases ago? The video went viral, and it, it was a transgendered person who was now presenting as female, and the GameStop employee kept calling this person sir. Do, do you guys remember that yeah. video? And I just, for whatever reason, I was reading this, and I thought of that. They were not kicked out of the GameStop Because of transphobia, they were kicked out because they were yelling, screaming, and knocking over displays. You can claim discrimination all you want. But it was the behavior that got them kicked out. This is not someone being persecuted for their beliefs. This is someone being reprimanded for their behavior. There's a big difference. And if you are violating community guidelines that are set, the people that get to set the community guidelines can kick you out. That's that's the way it works. And
2: I, you know, with this whole crowd, I just like, why do you want to be on Twitter so bad? If you don't trust anything else they have to say, you think it's all run by liberals. Why are you on it? And why do you need it so bad? That That's just kind of an interesting. Because
3: nobody's on Parlor or Google Hangouts anymore.
2: Yeah. You had to Google that, didn't you?
3: <laughs> I did. I Googled Parlor. I was like, the, I was and, like, what was let, that let wackadoodle right wing Facebook the alternative? Spoken,
2: the market has spoken on Parler. We and nobody it wants
3: it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you know, because par- Parler died when uh, Google, Google and Apple wouldn't let wouldn't mm-hmm. allow it to they be shut in their, down their servers, servers. servers. And maybe
2: that's a monopoly <laughs> but, again. But, uh, but you know
3: what? It, until it's declared a monopoly, they have the right to do that. It's true. There's there is a way this plays out. There's there's courts. There are things. That, if you're that passionate about it, by all means, start a campaign. I am sure there are people that watch a few different uh, cable news channels that would give to your legal fund for you to have something declared a monopoly. But until then, they get to make the rules, and you can either play by those rules or you can shut up.
2: But we have to say, too, there are Christians who are really fired up about this right now. I'm sure there are are pastors in Tennessee that are just, like, pulling their hair out because they've got members that are coming to them saying, can you believe – what they're doing to us. And you know, there's probably guys in Tennessee that are not feeling this, that are pastoring people who are coming to them like frustrated and upset and they're like, Man, come on, this is ridiculous, you know.
1: I think like uh they there is a weird like to the extent when we asked the question about being kicked off of Twitter and stuff like that, like there is a weird precedent that like all these or all these websites are, are kind of can kick you off arbitrarily, right? Yeah, and and that 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 can be both scary but also irrelevant because like like Jeff kind of what you said like if you're you're on someone else's website, you know what I'm saying? You're on someone else's media, so like by even creating an account, you're agreeing that nothing you write is your personal anymore. Like you're you're giving it to the website, and then beyond that they can update their terms of service in a like tomorrow and ban whatever thing, anything they want to ban. And so like, it's it, it, from a first, uh from like a freedom of speech standpoint, like it's weird, but does freedom of speech really apply to social media accounts. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of, the, that's
0: kind of a question that maybe this is not like for the scope of the podcast. Well, I do I think, think that that's important though, Frank. Sorry. But like, I mean, what if there comes a sure. day where they're like, you can't, you can't, profess christ on a live stream on facebook what's that going to do to a lot of our churches we'll go we'll go to youtube (laughs) and if they do it
3: i mean just saying like that would be then then we'll go to what's the life church you know church.live or there's maybe maybe the church would be more creative if we didn't lean into what other creatives are already doing and we actually had to do something and develop a platform for ourselves. But But instead, we are standing on the shoulders of other people and then upset that we don't get to be the head when we're standing on their shoulders.
0: Mm. Oh, I agree. I don't want to be the head. But at the same time, it's like, you know who would go to LifeChurchTV.com backslash your church name? Someone who's already a Christian. And I'm thinking about like Frank's series right now where he's really trying to reach people who are far from God you know, about relationships, like by being virtue of being on YouTube and Facebook, you are in the town square. So I think that, yeah. Oh, I was going to say like, I, I
1: think, I think, I think whenever we have these conversations, we have to ask ourselves like, do is any of this necessary, right? Like, do we have to be on Twitter? Do we have to be on YouTube and all that kind of stuff? And I think to an extent, like, there is a reach and all that stuff is important. But then from a, like a ecclesi- ecclesiological standpoint, like, we as a church, A, are never really good when we're in a position of power. Like, that's 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 one thing. And two, like, our entire holy book is written to a people who are under persecution. And so therefore, it's not like, like when, like any time Christians aren't persecuted, it's extreme privilege. So we should be very grateful for anything we have. And then I think if there comes a moment, which depending on your ecclesi- it, it, uh, eschatology, it may or may not happen, but uh, if we do get persecuted, it's like that's only and and people are not going to like when I say this. It's only to our benefit because it's only going to cause a purification of our church, and it's going to cause the, the the I keep calling him John Locke, the Greg Locks of the world to kind of be pushed off the main stage because we don't have time for foolishness like that when we're being persecuted right um so i get what you're saying i like I like being on Twitter. I like being on Instagram. And as of right now, and I think it's going to be a long time before we ever get to a we've, point where we're like we've like...
3: We've noticed, Frank. We've been meaning to talk to you about that.
1: <laughs> what I'm saying is, I think we're a long ways away before... I mean, and someone's probably listening is like, nope, it could happen tomorrow where Christian's going to get banned. And it's like, I feel like we've been saying that like since the days of MySpace. like we're going to get banned off of MySpace If we keep preaching the gospel, they're going to hate us or whatever. And like, if they do, then they, they, then good kick us off. And then like, it's going to just like, if there's a digital version of Tertullian's phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seat of the church. The blocking of the Christians is the seat of the church. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I feel like there's only like, you can't hurt believers. True. You can't hurt the church. Like, Like, let them persecute us at the end of the day because, one, that's promised, and two, it's only going to strengthen us. So I think, though, when we categorize this as persecution, it it muddies up the conversation because what this is is temper tantrums. What this is – I think, Delmar, you said it. You said – did you say attention theology? What was the phrase you said? You said like – yeah, you said it earlier, I, remember. I forgot what you say. It's like basically people just want to hear what they want to hear, and they're just gravitating towards those kind of opinions. Honestly, and to, to Andrew's
0: was, point though, like being on that. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff, that actually does reinforce that. Like if I'm a Christian in my church and I don't like what my pastor's saying, I can go online and find an echo chamber church that I do like instead of submitting myself to the authority of my church. So it is there is definitely some positive and definitely a lot of con to us being in the square like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think, I think actually
1: Facebook just came out or some company just came out with the fact that like social media is like wrecking us in general. Like Instagram is wrecking us. Facebook is wrecking us. And so what's that already doing to our psych, to our mental state is not good. And what that's doing to the church is also not good, but Hey, let me, let me kind of turn this conversation to a lighter point. What would be the thing that's going to get you bad from social media? <laughs> What would be the thing you would do that you you are gonna have to make a, a, a Facebook live and be like that kicked me off? What what would be that thing? Andrew taking his shirt off after a, a raise game win? I was gonna
3: say it would be something sports related. I'd be you know so frustrated or heartbroken or <laughs> you know just euphoric after after a World Series victory because you know we've had a Stanley Cup and a Super Bowl, so the World Series is all we need here in Tampa Bay, and it would make me very very happy. I could see myself getting banned or at least censored some little blurry lines.
2: Honestly, I have no idea what kind of things I would even think to do to get kicked off of social media. I would probably, I mean, I'd probably get fired as a pastor before I got kicked off social media.
0: I think, was it on this podcast? Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but about the pastor who uh, accidentally hit go live on Facebook when he was taking a poop (laughs) I yeah. think that would be the level of what would get me kicked off. Like I would yeah, accidentally accident. hit go live and then just like it's rolling buddy and whatever happens happens.
2: That was like our second or third episode, wasn't it? I think so.
0: That that's when we brought
1: in what's name uh uh James Clidens, baby. Yeah, James on the show. He's, and, he's
2: he's like 20 minutes away from me.
1: Yeah, and and he's a he's an influencer. I I don't know. I don't know what uh what would cause me to uh to get kicked off, but I probably something like what just said. It's probably me like on the toilet on TikTok, and then somehow I mess up and I'm going live, and it's not going to be good for any of us. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to head into our main discussion. Hey, we are back, and we are talking about a question that one of our listeners sent us in. He did, he didn't record it, but he did text it to me on Twitter. He it's it's Mark Hall. He asks it, it's a question about vacations. What do you what when when you are about to go on a vacation, the week leading up to it? What are some of the extra things that you have to do in preparation for that vacation? Um, that, that, that's a, in addition to a normal week of work. And then another question he has is, what do you allow to interrupt your vacation to respond to, or to, or when you have to return back home for an emergency? How would you guys? This is a good question because, like, because we're all pastors, we don't take vacations like normal people. We try to take vacations on like off seasons when like the church isn't as busy, and so there actually probably might be a crowd of people around Sundays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going. Right. You definitely. It's a lot of money to Saturdays. In, Frank, I'm going to tell. Case. I'm going
2: to tell a funny story, which is how you should not answer your phone if you're a pastor and you're on vacation and somebody you know calls you. Go so I it. was on vacation, or I don't remember where I was, but Frank, you called me late at night one night. This is like probably ten years ago, and my wife was with me in the room, and you you had called me about something like related to the business we had together or something. So it was like important, but not that important. And I believe when I answered the phone, I I picked it up because I saw it was you, and said, "Somebody better be dead." What's up? <laughs> and my wife was like, "Don't what? Don't ever say that. Awesome. What if something happened? So what if
1: something did die? That'd be so sad."
2: <laughs> so I never answered the phone like that ever again. And like as 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 it, the words rolled out of my mouth, even back then, I felt like ah, that was probably not a good good way to answer the phone. (laughs) But years later, after I had become a pastor, I did receive one of those phone calls while I was, I wasn't on vacation, but I was on a retreat and a guy called me and said, Hey, I just found my wife. She just committed suicide. And I just found her like face down in the bathroom. And that was the first time I ever got a call like that. And so um, that was one of those times where I was away and he had called me and it wasn't a vacation, but, you know, I could have left the retreat right then and come home, uh, ended up connecting him with another one of the pastors at the church and stuff. But that's really the only experience I've had like that of being called while I'm away. As far as what would bring me back home, it would really depend on how far away I was, how long I was going to be gone for. You know, if I flew across the country, that's different than driving two hours to the beach or something. Um But it, it, I honestly, I think it kind of goes case by case because it, Depends on the church member, depends on the situation, but probably something that would be pretty serious. Health related would be just about the only thing. I mean, if you're going on vacation and you're getting phone calls about like you need to come back or you're fired. For something you did, that's a (laughs) you might have not should have been on vacation anyway. So, um, I mean, as far as getting called back, that's that's my thoughts on that.
0: To me, the, the prep is important. Um, I I try to set my email on auto response because the worst thing ever is somebody emailed you and then you just didn't mail them back. So it says, hey, sorry, I'm out of the office, you know, blah, blah. Um, Also, I tell my frontline people who always hear the information first. For us at our church, it's our deacon body. I let them know, um, especially the ones who receive all the calls. Hey, uh, Carl, hey, Larry, I am out this week. Um, can you field anything? And if anything comes up, can you guys be my shock absorbers? They're pretty good about that. And they're the ones who can hold that line. And I tell them, listen, the line is obviously if there's, if there's a a death or, um, if the church burns down. And when I was a student pastor is if you found two students having sex, you know, like give me a call, we got to handle that. But, uh, for the most part, I try to be, I wouldn't say unaccessible, but I think one of the things you can set all those things in place. And people are still going to find a way to reach you. And the thing that I've always have to tell myself is, though it may not be a crisis to me, it is a crisis to them. So I, ha- I have to respect that because they don't understand I'm on vacation. And if I treat their thing as petty as what I think it is, that will remember and that's going to snowball. And then the other thing I always have to do is like, even if you don't answer your call and you don't check your voicemail and you don't check your email, you're going to get texts. Right. And like, that's a different world. I was on my honeymoon. You guys, I was in Alaska and I was on a boat. So we didn't have service. When I got back to Seattle, this leader blew up my phone and was like, I'm done with this church. I'm telling all these people you did this, 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 this. Like, I'm just on my honeymoon. So, like, I'm trying to go to the first Starbucks ever with my wife, and now this thing is buried in my back of my head. I shouldn't have checked my stupid texts, but they all popped up. So I'm even curious to hear how you guys handle it when they finally do get through to you after you have set up the barriers. Yeah, I think this
4: is a really good topic. I don't know how you guys vacation, but I typically preach – on a Sunday, and then we leave for vacation after I preach, and then we will vacay from Sunday to Saturday, and I'll have a guest, I have a guest preacher set up for the following week, so I can be, I usually don't miss a Sunday, but if I, if I, if I can have a guest preacher the following Sunday.
3: You miss more Sundays than any pastor I have met in my life, Timmy.
4: That was, (laughs) that was old school Tim, bud. Okay, so.
3: that, that so in the past been... 15 months, things have changed.
4: Well, yeah, I've only been a lead pastor for 23 months. So yeah, things have absolutely changed a lot. So when I am away, uh, I still check my phone. I still respond to emails. I still check texts. I don't take calls though. I just let it go to voicemail. And if it's uber important, I'll call back when I can. Um, I I don't know. I just, I spend probably way too much time on my phone anyways. Um, if we're at the beach of the pool, my, my phone's probably not in my hands at that time. I don't have any problems shooting a quick text. Hey, I'm on vacation. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll get back to you. Um, I've had to shoot some things over to my elders, and I've let church members know, hey, our lead elder's going to be calling you. He's going to help you with this because I'm, I'm out of the office. I'm on vacation. Um, two years ago, when I did go through the big uh, changeover at Lakeview, I was on vacation a month and a half before I was voted on as lead pastor and I probably fielded maybe 20 calls while on vacation, but that was all from elders and things were going on in the church. So I I definitely don't recommend that. Um, But I'm not the guy that unplugs his phone and turns everything off for for seven days. It's It's just not me.
3: I think we have jobs that give us more flexibility than most people have you know if if i was working 9 to 5 at a you know accountant's office doctor's office lawyer's office whatever um my 9 to 5 would be would be there but right now i i have a job where if a kid needs to go to the dentist or if there's a school program or whatever i can peace out for 2 or 3 hours and be there and so because of that, I don't think I take vacations the way that a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant would take vacations either. I also realize that I'm at a small church right now, and there are a lot of things at the church that I do. And so whether it's tech stuff or, you know, that phone call that is going to mean way more from me to the little old lady than somebody else, I can, I can take five minutes while I'm on my vacation and make that call. And they may or may not know that I'm on vacation right now, but they will know that I didn't make the time to make that call. So I don't think taking a few minutes out of a, my v- vacation, whatever it is, is going to be that big of a deal. The lead pastor that I served under for six years before coming to Safety Harbor told a story about um, how his first few years at Faith were, were really rough and he was having a really hard time making headway. And... Somebody at the church died and their spouse wanted him to come home from vacation to do the funeral. And the people were just kind of split, like, you know, does he do this? Does he not do it? He was with his wife and three kids and he decided to come home and do this funeral while he was on vacation. He flew home, did the funeral, flew back. And the widow of the deceased became his biggest advocate at the church after that. And he was at the church for 27, 28 years. Um, And he said that the turning point of his ministry at the church was the fact that he was willing to come back and do that. And he said, you know, I realize that every situation is different and you don't always want to do that. And hopefully you have the relational capital, the relational capital where you don't need to do that. But for him, the turning point, what turned what would have been a five or six year term as a pastor at a church into a career at that church Was he was willing to come home and do a funeral when common ministry, you know, theory would have said, no, 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 stay, you know, guard your family time, do this. But he decided to come and that turned the tide for him for the rest of his career at the church.
1: For for setting up like the week going into vacation, I think one thing that's helpful is to think through what are the things that only you know? And, like, yeah. make a list. Of the, like, I feel like there's a lot of things that, like, no one else knows you do it. It's only in your head. It's never written down. People aren't aware of it. Like, there might be a door that only you unlock. There might be a light that only you know where the switch is. Um, you know, you you might, like, every Sunday morning you might walk in and you vacuum a certain part of the building that no one else sees. And it's like, it, it, as the more you, like, r- start writing that down... Like what I do in my campus is I have a document where I like, I call it opening and closing procedures in case I'm not there. And it's all the things that I do that no one else does that. No, one else. so so
4: Frank, Frank, hang on. If you had COVID, would you like have a document that way you wouldn't have to go into the church while you had COVID to set up like tech stuff? I feel personally attacked. No, no, no. no, no, I'm just just asking a question. Like if you're like down for the count with COVID, someone else should probably know how to do a few things. Is that what you're saying?
3: Correct. Correct. <laughs> I think, in in my defense, one other person knows how to do those things. Our part time youth guy was interviewing for a full time position in Indiana and wow. I told him, Don't you dare cancel your trip because I'm sick. No no no. So I showed up at church before the band and all that stuff this past Sunday to my wife gave me Clorox wipes to wipe down everything I touched. If you wiped on the way out. I, 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 yes, I did wipe on the way out, Jeff. Um, but w- it, the the one big thing is we have two different computers that work together. Like our our lyrics from the one computer show up on the on the broadcast computer, but our computer in the worship center has to be turned on before the the HDMI switcher gets turned on. And it's just this like weird thing that we figured out through lots of troubleshooting. And me and Dylan are the two people that know that. And he happened to be in Indiana while I was hit by the COVID truck. So I had to go in Sunday morning to turn on the computers and read all over everything.
1: I think that, you know, these questions showcase how much freedom and how much empowerment have you given your volunteers um, for you to be able to effectively go on vacation. I mean, that's ultimately the, a, a big question. And so, I so when I go on vacation, or in my context, I don't know, Delmar, if you face this as, as at your multi-site churches, when I have to preach, I'm not at my campus. I have to preach at the yeah. at the streaming campus. So every so, there's a lot of Sundays I'm not at my campus, and so therefore, I have to think through who's going to do what or whatever. The other thing I think about when I go on vacation is, um, and I don't know if this is bad because i no one, no, no one's ever told me not to do this. And I don't know. If, and I haven't heard any of you guys talk about this. And I just assumed if you were at a smaller church, this would be more common, but neither, neither of you have said this is um, just to let people know you are going on vacation and to say, yeah, Hey, I'm going to be out of town here. Here are some people you should connect with. If you need anything like here's elder John or the associate pastor, like, I don't know. I, I I I I like make it very clear like hey when I'm gone our worship guy is in charge. He knows everything. He knows more stuff so than I do really. Talk to him, you know what I'm saying? Um and, but I don't think that's going to prevent certain phone calls or certain text messages. There's certain, there's always going to be people who want to reach out to you specifically, but I think I I want to believe and maybe 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 I'm being naive. Some people really do want you to enjoy your vacation. They understand like how hard pastors work and so they don't want to bother you. But then there's people who are like for lack of better terms, very needy and they need I feel your like attention. able There's people that
2: wait till they hear you're going on vacation to talk to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that could very well be true, dude. Um I, I mean I, I think I think like Obviously, that first question about how do you prep—it's all contingent on kind of like what your expectations are for the week and what you do. If you—if you—if you're like Andrew, where you know the ins and the outs of the tech team, and literally no one else does, there's a lot of things you're going to have to do. But if you have a team of volunteers who you've empowered to lock up and open and turn on lights and all that kind of stuff, then then you just might have to relay a couple couple things.
0: You know, for what and it's I've, worth, this past Sunday. Um, what you just said, that's really fresh for me, Frank, because we just we just had our second soft launch. This Sunday is the hard launch. So what I did is I got four people who are massively, you know, helped me load in. Once everything was loaded in and the sermon was streaming, I said, grab grab your your notepad on your phone, walk through me. We're going to fully I'm going to discuss with you how this place is loaded out and why it's loaded out the way it is. And I'm going to show you all the small things that I went back after everyone else and even changed Um, for that reason, Frank, because I'll be preaching in the the saddle at the other campus every periodically so long. And that is an anxiety that you have when you are a campus pastor. You're like, hey, is that one curtain pulled all the way? Because if not, you could see behind stage. And I know that may seem petty, but like those random things, they snowball up in your head when you're out.
2: I think there's two things that just can come to mind. Um, the first is like on the practical level, like pre- preparation. I think in the training piece, it's like it's pretty important to train people not just like what you do, but like why you do that and why things work the way they work. So that like for me with the tech booth, I, I'm i not like it, it's a good that the volunteer knows like how to run the slides, but I want them to be able to troubleshoot in an emergency. Like I want to train them to the point where like if it goes down, they're not like just, you know, giving you that panic look in a small church. The reality is, I think with all of us here in all of our churches or campuses, like the level of excellence, and this isn't to toot our own horn, but the level of excellence goes up a little bit when we're there. And that's part of why we're there. You know, I mean, because we care about the curtain being pulled all the way. We care about which font we use. We care about, let's not use that background. Let's use this background. So when we're gone, some of that stuff slips a little bit, unless we've really, it's a culture thing of setting the culture of like, this is why we're doing things the way we're doing it. And I want you to know how to run the cameras and the reason why we run the cameras, and I just remind people, is like, we're we're trying to reach people. You know, that's why we're doing this. So we want it to be as good as we possibly can. We're not looking for uh, doing things in the easiest possible way, which I feel like a lot of church volunteers default to that. What's the easiest way I can do this? No, that's not. The, the goal is, what's the best way we can do this? And it's not, it's usually not the easiest way. Um, and then as far as like, what would bring me back? I was just thinking about it more as we were talking. I think I think Mark asked this question, I, and I'm speaking again as a small church pastor. I don't act that differently on vacation as far as returning calls and texts and stuff as I do when I'm home. Um, and part of that means that there are some boundaries that are in place. Like I really put my phone away sometimes. Like I, I, I've said this before. I don't sleep with my phone in the bedroom, so I don't see messages until like I pick my phone up again the next day. So if somebody called me in the middle of the night with an emergency, I wouldn't know until the next morning. And I'm open about that. I've, I've shared that. Um, and frankly, I live in a parsonage, so if it was that big of an emergency, they could come knock on my door. They know exactly where I am. Um, that's never happened. But I'm the same way on vacation. I, I will answer your call when I'm not with my family. Um, and like you guys said, it's pretty flexible. And I think that's a culture thing. But I feel like there's this tension we live in where, you know, what you said, Andrew, about the about that pastor being willing to come back from vacation that's really about your congregation feeling like you love them and care about them. And I think that's probably the most important thing, but you also want your family and your wife to feel like you love about them and care about them. So you're going to, there is no easy, simple answer, do this, this, and this, and it'll be great. It's a constant tension and you guys all know there are seasons in the church that are just more taxing than others. There might be a season where two or three older folks are in the hospital a bunch. And you're just gonna that's you're just gonna sacrifice family time during that season. There might be seasons like for me in the summer, people are on vacation. They don't want to hear from me. They're gone, like they're gone. So I have more flexibility in my ca- calendar. So take advantage of that when you can, not at the expense of your church, but it's just it's just a tension we live in that you're gonna have to just find the balance of as you learn to pastor your specific congregation, because. So far, every one of us has talked about a different culture at our church because they're all different.
4: Yeah, that's really that's really good, Jeff. I like that a lot. Uh, I think one thing you probably should do is is take a look at your family calendar and and get some vacations yeah. on the calendar because what what happens a lot in ministry is you know well we're, we're busy we'll we'll plan that out soon yeah 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 we'll get back but oh no, it's Christmas you, you, uh, we'll do it soon oh it's Easter yeah and yeah. it's just not it's not going to happen so we just we just sat down as a family and. I, I texted my contacts, which would be um, my mom and my grandma who love to to gift us with little getaways here and there. And I said, We wanna we need to sneak away on spring break and I texted my grandma and said we want to come see your, your new condo at Myrtle Beach. So we, we just booked uh we've got three three weeks coming up, one in December, one in March, and then one in May. So we have our three vacations coming up. We're pretty well, and I would up. say you can
2: look for a little lot, like you said, Tim, look for I mean, this weekend I went, like I said, Monday, Tuesday. Uh, got back today and went to Exponential, found out there was a hotel room with a king-sized bed and was able to have my family tag along. So it was like, it was kind of vacation. I was gone during the day to the thing, but we had dinner together every night. We're away from home. So there is some of that. And I did share with the church on Sunday, hey, I'm going away for a couple of days to this conference. Um, I actually, you know, asked, asked the congregation, would you pray for me while I'm there? That I would, you know, it would be a good conference. And my wife and, and family are coming along. So it's going to be great. So look for that opportunity. And then again, to to get real practical, like what you said, Tim, when I vacation, I leave on Sunday after church and I usually, if it's going to be more than a week, I will miss that next Sunday and then come back by like Wednesday or Thursday, the following week. So I have a couple days to, and I will try to work ahead. Like I'll try to write two sermons in the weeks leading up to when I'm leaving for vacation so that when I come back, it's not a, you know, a, a sermon that I wrote in two days.
1: Yeah. Um, I think what you just said, Jeff, everyone should listen to in the sense that they should take uh, either their vacation days or conference days to come to the practically pastoring conference and make sure you tell everyone to not bother you while you're in Florida because we're going to have a great time and we need your undivided attention so you and us can all enjoy each other's company. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to end the show. Hey guys, this has been a good show. I, I, I've enjoyed enjoying talking about uh, vacations and getting kicked off of Twitter and exercising demons. It's just been a good, it's been a good time with you guys. Uh, with that being said, I I hope that if you haven't joined the Facebook group, you join the Facebook group. If you haven't followed us on Instagram, follow us on Instagram. All that We've kind been of good up on six
2: hundred in Facebook group. Yeah,
1: we we yeah. I mean, it's like it's like COVID numbers in Florida. It started slow and it started skyrocketing. It just went crazy. No. <laughs> oh no, too soon. Hey, um, we also really hope that you join us at the Practically Pastoring Conference. Go to com for the details. You have 15 days to get the lowest price. You're not going to want to miss it. Okay. <laughs> and we are going to <laughs> uh, wrap up this show. Uh, guys, I'm Frank Gill.
4: I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. <laughs> I'm
3: Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And this is Practically Pastoring. See you next week. Bye. I would like to say for the record that Tim and I actually love each other dearly.
0: Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors
3: by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.